Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And we have a first on the program today, folks, and we are well over 300 programs. And so this is so cool that this is, well, maybe it's not cool. I'm going to rethink that because we should have had more of guests like this on the program, but that's because our guest today is so unique. Um, So please join me in welcoming Julie Austin to our program. Welcome, Julie. Well, thank you, Deb. So let me tell folks about why you're so unique. So Julie Austin is an award-winning author, inventor, and speaker. She's also been featured in the books Patently Female and Girls Think of Everything. Her patented product, Swiggies, which are wrist water bottles, have been a NASDAQ product of the year semifinalist and are currently sold in 24 countries. Julie and her products have appeared on the Today Show, the Queen Latifah Show, HGTV, Lifetime, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox News, Inc. Magazine, Fast Company, and the Wall Street Journal, along with dozens of local TV shows, magazines, and radio shows around the world. Julie's new book, The Money Garden, How to Plant the Seeds for a Lifetime of Income, is currently available on Amazon. So again, Julie, welcome. Well, thank you so much. That is a lot to say. I, well, <laughs> I'm tired already. A alphabet in there. You know, I love that. Um, <laughs> but you know, the the reason you are so unique is we have never had an event in inventor on the program. You know, and and obviously there's lots of products that are being invented and patented. But you know, it it is just you know, it's still from a a, a true numbers point. It is something that is fairly unique. And you being a female is even more unique. And we'll talk about that a little bit further along in the program. But, you know, give us a little bit more about your background and talk about why you decided to invent a product. Well, I never intentionally set out to invent a product. I was actually running in the heat in Texas in the middle of July and August, Mm -hmm. and I passed out from dehydration. And so... You know, I thought this is kind of this is not really a good thing. <laughs> I should be carrying water with me, but I was running with my keys and my music, and I didn't really have anywhere to carry water. And so I looked for some kind of product that was hands free that had water. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that was around at the time was the they had some kind of like a fanny pack thing uh-huh. with a straw and. And I got that, and you, it, it didn't really work, and you right. had to rinse it out with baking soda before, every time you mm-hmm. used it. You know, it, it could get bacteria right. in it and all right. kinds of bad stuff. So I, I wanted something a little simpler than that, and I came up with the idea of putting the water, a water bottle on your wrist. Mm-hmm. I went, there's got to be something like that. Could not find it. So I set out to find out. You know, if this had been patented, if anything like it existed, mm-hmm. and that's how I became an inventor. It really just happened to me. Right. Right. So, so you know, it's we see those late night television commercials all the time that are 
If you have a product that you would like to apply for a patent, please call here. And of course, I always think, yeah, 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 they're going to take my product and I'll never see it again. Or, you know, they'll pay me 10 bucks for it. What is the process to actually go through to get a product patented? Well, they'll probably not steal your product idea. They'll steal your money right. <laughs> and not do anything. Yeah, you know, or, or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you don't need those people. It's it is. It sounds daunting right. at first, but and and I had to figure this out completely on my own. Mm-hmm. And and just from common sense, okay, how do I get started? Okay. If I'm going to get a patent, how do I do it? And and something that has happened now that wasn't around when I started, which makes it incredibly easy and a fraction of the price what I paid, is a provisional patent. A provisional patent is something. something yeah. Oh, you've gone away. You've gone away. You've gone away. Oh, can you hear me now? You're back. Okay. Okay. Provisional patent. Right. So uh, the provisional patent was not around when I started, and it's in. It's a great way to. It's it's a fraction of the price of what I paid for a full patent, and um, it's very simple. And you can look it up. You can just Google provisional patent. You can find out how to do it, and um, you know it's. Uh, when I first started, I had to do everything the hard way. So it had to go through the patent office, and they almost always turn it down. And so it went through twice to get the patent. Mm-hmm. If you get a provisional patent, it only protects you for a year. Oh, okay. But that should be enough time for you, if you hustle, to either license it or get you know a prototype and start testing it out and make sure that Anybody wants the product, first of all, if anyone's going to buy it. Right, right. And then at that point, at the end of the year, then you can file for the full patent. Well, and, well, and you know, so you are dealing with the, the government. And, and so do you only have to get a patent from the U.S. government? Or, you know, you, you mentioned in, you know, we mentioned in your bio that your product is, selled, is sold in 24 countries. Do you have to get a patent in every country? I mean, how does that work? Well, <laughs> you should, but it's extremely expensive. Okay. Uh, what I did was um, I pick, you know, I was like picking and choosing the countries that, you know, I was really going to work in. Um, most of the countries in the world, you don't really have to even worry about, mm-hmm. you know, they have other things <laughs> that are going right. on in their country and they're not going to be buying a, a, a water. Um, so yes, it, it, you should do that, but also, uh, patent and, patents and trademarks, which I have, I also have a trade dress on my product okay. is a registered trademark. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of things that protect you online, and you can't, you cannot possibly um, prevent all counterfeiters. Right. It's, you, it just, you just can't. You know, mm-hmm. they could sell my product on a street corner in Shanghai, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to know. And right. nor would I care? I mostly care about the internet and certain countries, and that's mm-hmm. really where you should focus your your money and your attention. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah, because we've all seen, you know, like, whether you've actually seen this or seen it on TV, you know, the, the street corners in New York where you can buy those, you know, those fancy purses and all. And it's like, yeah, right. Mm-mm, no, <laughs> you know, there's there's a reason it's only 10 bucks for that roll X watch you know, or, or whatever. Um, yes. The, well, one re- stop everything, but you can do no. the best. Well, one reason you don't want to buy counterfeiters, two reasons. I mean, for one reason, it's because it crushes people like me, you know, and even big companies, it's really stealing from them. Mm -hmm. And and, um, another thing is the counterfeiters do not care about the quality at all. Mm -hmm. And And so then when something goes wrong, they're not on that street corner anymore. Oh, they're the ones who use all kinds of chemicals in their products and things are missing and pieces. And it's, mm-hmm. I, I went to the uh, Patent and Trademark Office. They had uh, an event for inventors and they showed a whole list of things that said, these are, uh, can you spot the counterfeiter? Mm-hmm. And these were things like toothpaste. <laughs> And I could not tell the difference. They said, nope, that is the counterfeit product. If it was on a shelf, you would not know. That's another scary, scary part mm-hmm. of counterfeiting is yes. the quality. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so you, you took the time. You made sure that you had yours properly patented and trademarked. Then what do you do? I mean, so actually, let me take a step back. You came up with this idea. What? It is or should have been the first step. Is the patent the first step? Is making a prototype the first step? What the heck does somebody do when they think they have this great idea? Well, really, the first step is to find out if the product exists. And that way you don't waste your time. So um, Google is such a great tool. Oh, Google. Now you can go into Google and you can look under, and I don't have it open in front of me, so I don't know exactly what it says, but... You can look under the patents, and there is a patent. You can do a patent search through Google, but here's the thing. If something is a patent pending, it's not going to show up. And there's also, you know, obviously a lot of people who don't get a patent on something. And sometimes they don't go through, right. And not only that, sometimes people don't even – I have a friend who has 60 products, Mm -hmm. and none of them are patented. And I said – well, aren't you afraid someone's going to steal it? And he said, no, I have 59 more. You know, the point is to just, he just gets it out there fast and mm-hmm. big and he doesn't worry about patents. Okay. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those cover my little hiney type of people. Well, so, that's, yeah. I think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially if it becomes something that's very popular and exactly. or makes a lot of money. Because then somebody else is going to go, ooh, that was either A, my idea, or B, it's going to be my idea now. Exactly. Look up on my Swiggy's website. There's an article about the fidget spinner. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, they, somebody just thought, oh, this is cool. And then when it got really popular, somebody else went, ooh, it's really cool. Right. She didn't have a patent on it. So, mm-hmm. so you know, so you, you. Research and determine that there is not a product. Now, uh, another thing, similar products. I mean, how different does a product have to be to be considered a different product and not just a knockoff? Very good question. Um, And I'm not an attorney, so I don't know the exact legal answer to that. But I do know that um, mine has a trade dress. And a trade dress is something... 
like um, it protects the look of a product. Okay. So if my product and a counterfeiter, a counterfeit product were put in front of a jury from a distance, would the jury say that that is the same product? Okay. That's how they um, would use that uh, to determine is mm-hmm. that the look of it exactly um, or, or close enough right. to being the same. Right. Well, and that's sometimes where I'm sure people innocently get in trouble. They they buy a product, they use a product, and they think, I can make this better. And and they don't make it different enough, and so they have infringed on that patent and that trademark. Exactly. And, yeah, I don't know exactly what the percentage is that has to be different, but everything comes from something right. previous. Yeah, you know, and 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 yeah. So yes. there's clearly you're you're having to make something that looks a little bit different, but um, you know, and 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 maybe one of the keys too is when you're developing your product, you think of multiple ways that it can look to kind of cover all your bases. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I did that and, and came up with different designs. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, I, I got very lucky because my product. I, the, I tried different things like a flat mylar bag around the wrist, and that didn't work for the same reason the fanny pack thing didn't work mm-hmm. um, because water gets trapped in it, and you know bad things happen to it. Right. So, and it just it just didn't work. So I, I got lucky in that my product is protected by the look mm-hmm. of of what it is. Right, and you know, and. and- it's not it, you. You're, you don't have gallons of water there. You know, it's it's enough to just kind of sustain you, and so that probably helps keep it clean. You know, my husband has one of those backpack type of of water things that you use, like if you're a runner, a bicyclist, and it has so many little creeks and curves and and all of that that the only way he can keep it clean is Clorox. You know, and then that just makes everything taste so wonderful. Um, <laughs> Aha! Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And I do have one of those um, that you put on your back that has gallons of water in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I would I use that when I went hiking in right. New Zealand for seven hours. Mm-hmm. But but this one is just it's um, you know just eleven ounces is enough for a one hour mm-hmm. run. Right. And also you can freeze them so oh. when you um, are out in the heat it mm-hmm. keeps your body temperature down. Yeah, because it's right there on a pulse point. Oh, I also want to mention something that um, about products. Um, I discovered that you know when you invent a product, you think you're inventing for one market, right? And so I thought, oh, this is just for runners. Oh, okay. And, and what happened was one day I went to a um, a trade show, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I was exhibiting at a trade show, and it was for action sports, which I thought, oh, this is my perfect market. Mm-hmm. I, no, it was not. <laughs> oh. it, it was um, surfers and skateboarders, and this was not the product for them. And I okay. found this out after a couple of hours, and I mm-hmm. closed down my booth, and I found a guy who was walking around the show, and he was closing his booth. He said, mm-hmm. this is not my market. Mm-hmm. He looked at mine. He said, oh, my God, do you sell those in the promotional market? And I said, what is that? Mm-hmm. And he said, it's pens and hats and mugs right. and T-shirts mm-hmm. with a logo on it. Mm-hmm. 
I had no idea. And I went to, he invited me to one of his shows in Vegas. And I walked in the door and got mobbed in the aisle. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know what? This is my market. I thought I knew my market. This is really my market. Mm -hmm. So you don't know when you're starting out until you kind of get into it, who is really going to use your product. And Mm -hmm. I've sold almost a million of these, most of them through that uh, promotional product market. Interesting. Yeah, because I would have thought it it truly would have been runners and cyclists. and, And so you were selling one at a time. As opposed to a promotional product where you'd sell to 50, 500, 1,000, whatever. Obviously, that's the better thing to be able to sell big quantities like that. But, but I love how you market changed and so you adapted to that. Yeah, and that's that's not just for a product. That's for for any entrepreneur who goes into business and you mm-hmm. think, oh, this is my market. And you find out, no, it really isn't. I have a, a, a course that I teach on um, how to create your own job. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the course was going to be, uh, the people in my, the students were going to be people who were unemployed. Mm-hmm. And about lunchtime, people started leaving and I went, oh my God, um, did I do something wrong? <laughs> and they said, no, we all have jobs. We hate our jobs and we want something different. <laughs> They wanted a better job. They wanted to create their own job, but in the meantime, they were stuck in a job they hated. Ah, interesting. Well, and, you know, I've I've talked about this multiple times on my show. Figuring out who your target market is is very difficult and a complicated process. It is. We we all think, oh, it's it's mothers. It's, you know, as you know, as you mentioned, you thought it was a specific thing. And. So that's one of the first things that you really have to figure out, you know, first, you know, is there a product, you know, a similar product or, hey, is this something that's unique enough that you can go forward? And then who the heck would you sell to? Because then, of course, that little thing called pricing comes in, because if your market is very small, then are you going to be able to make enough money off of it or be able to charge enough, you know, to to cover all of your costs? So how is is there a formula? You know, how in the heck did you determine that? That is a very good question. Um, Believe it or not, pricing was the hardest thing above, you know, finding a manufacturer, making a prototype, all of getting a patent, all of those things. Pricing was the hardest thing Mm -hmm. that I've done. (laughs) And it sounds so incredibly simple. But, um, you know, when I I first started, I was so naive, I literally got in my car and loaded them down with swiggies and went door to door. And I ended up getting into several big chains. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that I didn't really know what the price was. Mm -hmm. And and I adjusted it. This is a, a very interesting point. If you make your price too low, Mm-hmm. people won't buy it. Right. They don't see a value in it. If it's too high, they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So it's somewhere in the middle and, and you really have to kind of do a little bit of experimenting to, to figure out what that price range is. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and there are some products that they can set the price and people will pay it. I mean, you know, $1,000 for an iPhone, 
No, I'm not going to pay that. But clearly they have a market for that or they wouldn't be selling it for that. Um, but but I always I find pricing fascinating because so many entrepreneurs don't do that properly. You know, as you said, they either price it too low and there's no value or too high and nobody buys it. Or more importantly, they don't make enough profit so they can't continue. Um, you know, and, and and it's not just covering the price of manufacturing. There's so many other things that go into it that they need to, to be uh, making sure that they keep in mind when they're pricing. Exactly. And another thing, I first I started out manufacturing in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And what I learned very quickly was that not only was I not going to make any money on it, I was paying to be in business. Right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I could not I would love to have manufacturing in my backyard, you know, I mean, like I was manufacturing in California. I would love to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way. It's two and a half times more expensive. Right. And my margins, especially for something like a, a promotional product, are razor thin. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it just was no, you know, I couldn't be in business if right. I did that. Right. Unfortunately, that's that's how it is. Mm-hmm. I can't compete. Nobody's going to pay $30 for a water bottle. They're mm-hmm. just not going to do that. Right. You know, and for some people, then they, they won't do it because, you know, they, they're not going to have their product manufactured overseas. But it does mean that they're not going to do it. And so, you know, maybe it is something where initially you have it manufactured overseas and then you can bring it into the States as you refine the process sell more, all of those various things. Right. And and there are probably some ways that I can do that if I am, you know, if I was selling strictly retail, right. um, I could probably do that. But it's my market is more promotional. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing you have to consider is selling around the world. Right. I mean, 90% of everything I sell is in other countries. Mm-hmm. So if I manufactured in California and tried to sell to South Africa, it's they wouldn't buy it because they they couldn't couldn't. afford it. Right. So, you know, speaking, let's see, there's just so many steps in this process. So, you know, you've you've made your prototype and, you know, and one of the things that you did was this was, I believe, completely self-financed. Talk about that or talk about, you know, when you might want to find like an angel investor or venture capitalist or something. Well, um, yes, I completely financed everything myself. I worked two and three jobs for years Mm -hmm. and it took forever (laughs) because I had to, you know, I my first prototype was made out of clay. And I would suggest doing that. Make your your prototype out of popsicle sticks or clay or, you know. Something, anything that shows what the product looks mm-hmm. like, and take that. And if you have any drawings, take that to a uh, manufacturer, or I'm sorry, a um, a mold maker, mm-hmm. and get them to make you a working prototype. That's how I started out. Mm-hmm. And then I love. I was reading in your book. You talked about the fact that you actually, for quite a while. You know, once once you were selling and you put them together, you were the manufacturing process. Yes, <laughs> I had no life at all for a long time. Um, I had these and any inventor 
who starts and bootstraps and manufactures, you ask them what their their bathroom, their, their bathtub looks like or their mm-hmm. closets. Right. Everybody has boxes <laughs> stacked to the ceiling. And I still, I'm in my office right now and there are boxes stacked to the ceiling still. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have, in the beginning, you just have to do everything yourself. Right. And, and it's a good thing to do everything yourself because you learn the whole process from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sure that's not just a product business. It's anything, mm-hmm. any kind of business. Well, and as you're putting things together, you can refine it. You know, it's like, oh, this didn't really fit together the way I thought it would. Or, you know, this needs to be you know, done differently, some things like that. You're very instinctive about this. Yes. <laughs> um, the the first initial bottles that I had, I had bands that were made out of uh, uh, terry cloth. Okay. And I had to sit there and thread the terry cloth bands through, and it my fingers would bleed mm-hmm. from having to do this. And it was it, it looks like it would be a beautiful product, but right. it didn't really work. Right. Because you think, ooh, that's nice and soft because it goes around your wrist. And so you think, ooh, that's nice and soft and no rough edges, but hmm, maybe not so much. Yeah, but it didn't stay on very well because the the new product has bell stretch. Right. So it's more of a it's from the medical industry. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't know I had someone find this for me. They said, well, what about this this kind of band? Mm-hmm. It's easy to thread through, and it's it's tr- a stretchy, soft material. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I'm looking on your website, which is swiggies.com, um, you know, and, and so you, anybody can, can look and see what, what the heck we're talking about, because it is kind of hard to envision it until you see it. And <laughs> yes, it is. is well, and, and the second you see it, you're like, oh. Okay, well, that makes sense. I mean, you know, and and so it really is. And and so then the next thought was, wow, how come nobody else had ever invented that? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, It sounds logical. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, that's how, you know, obviously many things are invented. Somebody somebody finally goes, well, why don't we have this? Oh, okay. Um, You know, and and so it's it's very interesting how the process is. Well, there are a couple of ways that you can invent a product. I mean, mostly the things that you see on late night TV and infomercials Mm -hmm. are people who had a problem and solved that problem with an invention. Right. So I would like for someone to invent a hairdryer that, you know, I don't know how this would work. (laughs) Where you, I don't know, put it on your head and it just dries your hair and you don't have to sit there and dry it. Well, or I want one where I still have two hands free, you know, so that I can can curl and fluff and do whatever at the same time. I mean, you know, yeah. Hmm. But maybe we put <laughs> our heads together and come up with something. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're, if you go through a, a course of a day, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody has these things. They go, what? This problem is this is really bothering me. Somebody mm-hmm. needs to fix this. So that's where a lot of inventions come from. Right. You know, and, and what we really want to emphasize to folks is, you know, that it's it's not as complicated as you would think it is to get from, hey, this would be a good idea to, oh, my gosh, I'm making money. No, it, it really isn't. It, it sounds overwhelming, but today there are so many 
you know, resources out there to help inventors. And I'm not talking about the ones who say pay us twenty thousand right. dollars mm-hmm. and we'll do everything. You don't need that. I mean, you really, really don't. Right. It, it you can do everything yourself and 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 do it better. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're not paying out those fees. Now you know, clearly there are probably times where you should get an attorney involved. Oh, or, yes. You know, and, and some things like that. But, but yeah, you know, it's the, I guess, you know, those, you know, pay us and we'll take care of, those are the too good to be true type of things. Um, you know, but clearly it works because they wouldn't be advertising for it. But, but I love knowing that you can do it on your own. Inventors get taken advantage of a lot. Right. Well, and, you know, a lot of times it comes back to the money. You know, they've got this great idea, but they don't have the money to be able to actually create the product or, you know, to to get it, you know, maybe all the way to market. So what are some ways that, you know, you can do this without, you know, having to take out a second mortgage and, you know, auction off your kids, all of those various things? Well, um, I would say this is something that I should have done and, and I didn't do. In the beginning, I had a lot of luck. It was dumb beginner's luck just because I didn't know any better. I literally got in my car and drove to meet the CEO of a company and, and walked in and said, hey, I've got this product. Um, I'd like to meet so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And and I just lucked into things because I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And, and the guy, this is the first time I sold it, and this was for a big sporting goods chain. And he said, I like it. I'll take a thousand of them. Oh. I went, okay. And then I walked out and I went, oh my God. A thousand. <laughs> oh my God, I'm rich. <laughs> um, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get a thousand? Right. right. Well, it, it's funny. One of my favorite programs is the Big Bang Theory. And one of the early episodes was Penny made what she called Penny Blossoms. And those are, they were basically little barrettes that had flowers on them. And, you know, and, and she would put them together by hand. And, you know, and, and the, the reason I'm mentioning this, I think this is how a lot of people, you know, think, you know, well, I can do it myself. I can put it together. Well, then she got that big, gigantic order and they wanted it within like a day or two. You know, and and so that's sometimes where people haven't planned properly because, of course, on Big Bang Theory, it was hilarious the way it worked out. But in real life, you know, if somebody, you know, you know, say, you know, that that CEO you talked to, if he had told you, I need a thousand of them tomorrow, then you're thinking, oh, my gosh, what the heck do I do? Well, a lot of people used to tell me, why don't you get on Oprah? And I said, because I'm not financed enough. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and it's funny because I've, I've talked about this. I had a, um, a person that I was doing publicity for their book. And they wanted to be on Oprah. That was back when, you know, once a month she would have her favorite book and all of those things. And it was a great book. You know, it was it was one of those books that really was it was an inspirational story, you know, all those various things. But I told them and this was long enough ago that Amazon, you you didn't publish on demand through Amazon. So you had to basically have the books. And I said, can you fulfill thirty, forty thousand dollars copies of your book? If you go on Oprah and they went <laughs> and I said, let's make Oprah a longer term goal. <laughs> you know, let's get on your local TV station and, and, you know, do some things like that. And the same thing goes with inventing. I mean, you know, a, 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 things aren't made overnight. You know, you you have to have at least some inventory or, you know, some things like that 
because somebody might really say, oh, my gosh, I want a thousand of those and I want them tomorrow. Um, exactly. I mean, it took me years to get on the Today Show, but once I did, I was completely ready for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because I'm sure what happened was you got home and you, you had a pile of orders. And yes, and I had to just, you know, <laughs> you, you have to hunker down and know mm-hmm. this is going to be a really busy time and you're just going to work straight through it. Mm-hmm. Right. So speaking of that, do you do, pro- and, and especially at the start, you know, and, and then let's kind of talk about how things might have evolved, product fulfillment, you know, order fulfillment. You know, if somebody said, hey, you know, Julie, we need a thousand of these. Did you put together a thousand, box up a thousand, send off a thousand? You know, how did that work? Um, oh, with the time, you mean? Yeah. So when you first started, if somebody <clears throat> said, okay, we, we, we like this product, we're going to order it. Did you do the fulfillment yourself? I did. And it's interesting. Um, at the time, I didn't really have packaging. I mean, I had something that was kind of packaging but it didn't really fit my product and I had to use a glue gun to make it stick together and it was awful when I do um you know live speaking and I let me show you what the first product in the packaging looked like Mm -hmm. so bad (laughs) um and I ended up getting a friend who had a product and, I, and he let me, he loaned me a thousand of his, uh, it, they call it a clamshell packaging. Mm-hmm. And it fit the product and it was great and it looked beautiful. Incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. Whoop, I've kind of lost you a bit again. There we oh. are. So it, okay. it, it's very expensive is where we were. Uh, and, and his his packaging was very expensive, mm-hmm. so ultimately I couldn't end up using that packaging, and I didn't have the mold for it anyway. Right. But I was able to fill the thousand orders, and they look beautiful on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Here's what happened, though. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is wonderful. It's in all of these stores, and everything is great. And I'm going to go walk in the store, and I'm going to see it there on the shelf. Mm-hmm. So I walked in, and I'm looking and looking, and I couldn't find it. Finally, I went to the back of the store on the bottom shelf. Oh, no. And there it was. Now, this is a product that is incredibly unique. Mm-hmm. No one had ever put a water bottle on the wrist before. So it's something that you would have to know is there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, no one could find it. Mm-hmm. So, well, and it may have been that it was so unique, the store didn't know where to put it. I mean, if I had known, knowing what I know today, I have one uh, retailer, he's been with me for 10 years, mm-hmm. and he orders constantly. I mean, he's just, he's never been out of stock. Mm-hmm. And what he does is he has kind of a half mannequin thing with a, a wrist sticking up. Oh. And the product is on the wrist. Mm-hmm. So when you're walking through his store, it, it jumps out at you and you can instantly see it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because if somebody says it's a wrist water bottle, you're thinking of like, a, you know, a round water bottle. And you're thinking, well, how does that fit on your wrist? And yeah, so you have to see it to go, oh, yeah, that's what that is. Right. So, yeah, so he's really good at marketing and promoting the product and mm-hmm. And it's he sells in a market that I would not think my product would work in, but it does, and he still orders to this day. 
I love it. So you've reached the point where you're not putting the boxes together in your, your living room. You know, you're not doing the fulfillment yourself. How long did that take from when you initially thought, oh, my gosh, this is a great idea? Wow. Well, from the very beginning of when I had the idea and passed out on the road, <laughs> it took several years just to get up to the point where I was you know, manufacturing these and had them in my living room. Mm-hmm. So it took it, it. It really did take a long time because I had to make sure the product was right. And I'm making the product for myself. Right. So I wanted to make sure it worked for me. And if it worked for me, it would work for other people. Mm-hmm. So it, it was it took a very long time to because I was financing everything a little at a time. I'd get the, you know, prototype and then I would manufacture a few and, you know, go to a trade show and that would wipe me out. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I it, in knowing what I know now, I would do it the opposite way. I would start online. Okay. I don't know why I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. I think because every inventor thinks they're going to see their product in Walmart. Right. And that's completely the place you should not even think about Walmart in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Not even think yeah, about it's just It's so big. There'd be no way you could do fulfillment. Well, that too. And also, it, you know, start by, um, you know, the smaller mom and pop stores because mm-hmm. there are tons of them out there. Right. My retailer who has two stores. Um, who's been with me since the beginning, he, you know, he sells in, um, he has a store in Vegas that is a gift shop oh. um, in one of the casinos. Mm-hmm. And it is so busy. People go there and they look for something unique to take right. back home. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, and, and it is, you know, it's, it's such an interesting concept. And you know, and, and to think about selling it and, and all of those things. And so, you know, when you're talking online, of course, then the next thought is Amazon. You know, and, and I, you, do you sell through Amazon or is this all completely done on your own? Well, um, Amazon did come up with a great program called Amazon Express, mm-hmm. but they have not worked the bugs out on that yet. Okay. And their customer service for vendors is atrocious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, forget it. You, you just never get, you can never get anybody on the phone. Whenever you send an email, it's just some, you know, like okay. auto response mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And then you never hear from them. So they would order from me. And then they would put them in their warehouse. They're like, I guess, you know, they have warehouses all over the place. And they mm-hmm. would order for each warehouse. And if it didn't sell within, you know, a, I don't know. I don't want to say a few days, a week. I, I don't know how long. Then they ship it back to you. Right. They're, because and, they and, have so many other things they can be selling. Right. So it just, it didn't work. It, it has the potential to work. But... It is. And all I had to do was put the label on it and, you know, drop it off at UPS. And it was fantastic. And then three months later, I started getting these things back and I went, okay, you know, I would take the product back if it was defective. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case. They overbought and they, they over, you know, estimated what they would sell and then just ship it back to you. 
Well, and selling with Amazon or, you know, a, a big online retailer like that, it is a complicated process. Um, you know, I, I've had a guest on before who he, he is an Amazon vendor. That is all he does. That's the only place he sells his product. But it took him a long time to work the bugs out and the kinks out. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was a very complicated process. I, I mean, I would love to have an Amazon seller who just did that. I mean, it's it's good if you sell on Amazon, you have a lot of other products and that's all you right. do. Mm-hmm. I only have the one product, so mm-hmm. it just, it, it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and I'm, I'm guessing that in a lot of cases, it was that you, you know, as you mentioned, the little mom and pop stores. So you had a relationship with them. And, you know, and, 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 you know, I don't know if they would say, hey, you know, we're going to give you suggestions on it or, or things like that. But you knew them. And so it was much easier to work with them than the behemoth that never answers its emails. Oh, yes. He was wonderful to work with. It still is. Mm-hmm. And he came up with the Swiggy's name, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> so- so he was, um, because I came up with, I have an adult version and I have a kid version, mm-hmm. but they, I used to call them hydro sports and it didn't sound, it's not, no, that's not sexy. It's not a kid friendly name. Mm-hmm. And so the kids were saying, take a swig or something uh-huh. like that. And he said, well, swiggy, he started just started calling them swiggies. Mm-hmm. And and I changed. And that's another thing I did. I changed my name and my marketing midstream, oh. which is probably, you know, it's it was. I wasn't too terribly far along, mm-hmm. but I was far enough along that I had, you know, my trademarks and all of my logos and everything in 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 Hydro Sport, all the packaging and everything. And I completely changed it overnight and said, nope, they are called Swiggies. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure there are other people who have done that midstream. Right. It's not always easy. Mm-hmm. So do you just go back to the patent office and say, oh, wait, I've changed the name? Or do you have to start over with them, too? Um, the name is trademark. So okay. that's different than a patent. Right. Yeah. So, so you basically almost had to start over when you had a new name. Exactly. Yep. Interesting. So again, it pays to do your research at the start than to go, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to call this something different. Well, here's another reason I changed it, because 90% of everything I do is international anyway. I would find that there are certain countries where the word either meant something bad Ah. (laughs) or didn't really translate at all Mm -hmm. or it just it just didn't fit and so I had a company um one of my distributors in in Argentina they actually you can't really sell um because they don't they don't well I don't want to say they don't take any imports but complicated it's very complicated very um if you know the right people you can but Mm -hmm. um so she manufactures now Mm. and so um yeah and then she changed the name okay yeah because somebody in you know another country they're gonna go swiggy (laughs) and 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 it doesn't translate into what they're thinking and so then then they're not gonna buy it because they don't know what the heck it is 
Exactly. Yeah. So she changed the name to fit something that was more um, in in relation to the the country and the language and 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 she manufactures and it's basically a licensing deal. So okay. one one thing I was going to mention is that you don't always have to. You know, people will tell you one way or the other, you should manufacture your product or you should license it. I do both. So I want complete control over my product. Mm -hmm. And so I pick and choose which distributors, which markets, which countries I license and which ones and, 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 you know, even territories that I would license as opposed to sell directly. Right. Well, and... You know, obviously depends on what the product is, but I would think that having more control is better because, again, you I mean, you could you could completely lose control. And then what the heck are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, I have three distributors in Australia and Australia is a fairly small country, but you kind of this is the instinctive side that you um, kind of pick up as you become a business owner Mm -hmm. that I now know how many distributors I can have in one country and not okay. not be too much or too little mm-hmm. you know and um, it's, it's, it's just something that you learn as you go and I also learned another thing in the beginning everyone wanted an exclusive right and and so I learned you don't ever give anyone an exclusive for anything mm-hmm. unless you are getting something major back in right. return. Right. They're they're making a big commitment that they're going to push it, you know, all those various things. Yeah, I mean it has to be a minimum order mm-hmm. and it has to be a big order. Otherwise, why would I lock up an entire country? Right for something that maybe they'll work on it and maybe they won't. I mean, everybody wants the exclusive, but you have to pay for exclusives. Right, right. And, you know, it's not just that, you know, say they buy 10,000, that they actually do something with those 10,000. Yes, and by a certain time frame. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, what if they get those 10,000 and, you know, you sign an agreement saying they've got exclusivity for five years and they put them on a shelf and never do anything. Well, then you're stuck. You can't sell in that country, that area, until that agreement is finished. Exactly. Well, and that's where, you know, we, we mentioned, you know, having a lawyer involved. That's probably one of those places where you might want to have somebody look those contracts over. Well, that's an interesting topic about contracts. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, this was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I, um. All inventors will get to a point where you go, oh, my God, I just can't take it anymore. This is too much work. And and, and business owners, too, I'm sure. Um, And and somebody, I I need some help. I want someone to do it for me. (laughs) I'm sure you probably heard this a lot. Mm -hmm. I just want someone to do it for me. Mm -hmm. And so I got to that point and I met a guy who came from a friend. She didn't really know how bad he was because he had worked with a couple of celebrities. And so she thought he was fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, This guy turned out to be such bad news. And he he gave me a 25, 26 page contract. Now, I was. That seems like a little overkill. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> and then so I was still kind of naive about contracts. And I said, OK, I'm going to have to have an attorney look at it. Right. Well, the attorney was going to charge me two thousand dollars or something. That's a lot of writing or reading that they're having to do. Right. And so I said, I can't afford that. Um, I'll just sign it myself and uh, you know, it'll be fine. Right. No, never, ever, 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 <laughs> ever do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day, it was like Jekyll and Hyde, and it turned into a nightmare. Ooh. It took my business off. You know, I had to completely stop selling my product for about a year while this went through, you know, and then I had to have an attorney, and it ended up costing me more money right. than it would have, if you know, mm-hmm. and to this day, I have never signed a contract with anyone. I have distributors. I have 25 around the world. I said, I don't sign contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, if you give me one, and this is for everything. If you give me one, I will not sign it. <laughs> so just know that. Mm-hmm. My speaking uh, contract is one page. Mm-hmm. It's plain English, right. and it's just incredibly simple, and I wrote it myself. And I've had some of the biggest corporations in the world sign this contract. Mm-hmm. I don't sign anybody's contract. Right, right. And I've not had a single problem since. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and again, obviously, it, it, it depends on what the product is, you know, and, and because it, right. it could, you know, it, you know, there might be liability issues, all sorts of things. And, and, you know, so for those of you who are out there who are thinking, oh, I can do this, you know, think, think it through. And that's, that's kind of the theme that we want to, you know, emphasize for everything to think oh, yeah. this through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not for everything. Um, if, if Walmart gave me a contract, that's, that's different. That is a very different story. Right. But, um, for some of the mom and pop distributors out there, I have uh, to tell you the truth, the ones that have done the most, sold the most, and I've had the greatest relationship with have been on a handshake. Right. Well, and you're not dealing with them in large quantities, so you can just stop. I mean, you know, that that's kind of the other thing is it's like, okay, well, that didn't work out, so I'm just not going to have them sell anything anymore. Right. And, and, um, I the the guy that sold he sold a hundred thousand of these in one month, mm-hmm. and he said, "Well, Julie, do you think we could have some kind of agreement?" You know? and so that is something. It's like okay, he's already sold a hundred thousand in one right. month. Mm-hmm. He's actively out there hustling like crazy. Mm-hmm. We had between us a one page agreement. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been fantastic ever since. We still work together. Right. And and so, yeah, you're right. I mean, you have to just use your own um, gut instinct mm-hmm. about it. I mean, if you if you can afford an attorney every time you do business, go for it. Uh, right. Most bootstrapping entrepreneurs and inventors mm-hmm. can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe it's that you have them develop the the first contract. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's kind of your generic one. That, and, and that's what I did with my consulting business. Um, my my initial contract was written for me by an attorney and I just change it to, you know, for whatever the situation is. And, and so I'm not having to go back to them every time. I have had to add some things that, you know, I didn't think about. Um, but, you know, and, and, and it was funny. I did a logo design one time for somebody and 
you know, and, and my contract said, you know, I'll do logo design and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, and she paid, picked the logo and, and, you know, we went merrily along. And then months later, she said, oh, my husband was using the second logo design you presented for his business. And I went, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> he's using that logo? And, you know, and, and I didn't have it in my contract that those, you know, those logos not selected by the client remained my property, you know, my, the property of my company. And he was actually a trademark attorney. And so he very nicely wrote that part of the section in my contract. And that was what I considered payment for that logo. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was one of those things never occurred to me until it happened. Um, you know, and it's like, okay, so, you know, there, there, you know, in, in some ways contracts are those little CYA things, um, you know, and, and, and I, I wish that everything was handshake, you know, it, it, those days were so wonderful, but, um, and, and of course the other tricky thing is with you, you know, you're doing international business. And so you have to make sure that everybody really is on the same page and, you know, it doesn't, again, we're not talking a 26 page contract. You just need to make sure everybody understands the agreement. Yes, you did. You brought up a good point. Have your own contract written up that's like a boilerplate. This Mm -hmm. is, you know, like I do with my speaking. Right. This is my one page. It covers everything in plain English right here. And this is what I send everyone. Mm -hmm. But I and so I paid the initial fee to have this written up. But it's not Mm -hmm. like I have to have. That's why I can't do it when someone sends me a 20-page contract. Mm-hmm. It's their contract. I don't know it, and I'm not an attorney. Right. I right. can't afford to, to hire an attorney to read mm-hmm. a contract every time I get one. Mm-hmm. Right. And, again, you know, I mentioned the word overkill. You know, you get a contract that long, and to me, I'm thinking, eh, what the heck are they hiding in all this legal? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, holy cow, Julie, we only have about five minutes left. We didn't talk about your book. You know, so we'll just have you on again because it's such a cool book and and I want to talk about it. Um, but you've you've looked a lot at other inventors. Talk to why don't women invent more products? Or you know, and I'm gonna word that differently because women are always inventing things. You know, we're having to make something work out of nothing. Why don't more women actually apply for patents and go through that whole process? I actually did some research um, for a, this is for a tech company that hired me to come in to speak. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to know the reason. I mean, everybody knows that, you know, there's such a, a problem with women in STEM careers. Right. And, and not to say that all inventors are engineers or scientists, but a, a, a big majority are. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Women are not encouraged to invent. Right. They really aren't. It's mm-hmm. it's been a man's game from the beginning. And mm-hmm. the thing is, the Patent and Trademark Office from day one never excluded women. But women couldn't own property and they couldn't right. sign contracts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was the purpose? That's why women didn't invent back then, because what was the, you know, what did they have right. to gain from it? Mm-hmm. They couldn't sign the contract and they couldn't make anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So So, who's your favorite inventor? My favorite inventor. Um, I don't know if I really have a favorite inventor. Um, Because, and and I'm looking at your blog and you, you know, we, I mentioned that you've researched this. 
some very cool things like the woman who in the woman inventor that saved the cotton industry um you know all of these various things that again i think women are inventing continually as necessity (laughs) that's exactly true how are they going to fasten that diaper a better way or um you know a, a better product for the kitchen or you know a better office product all of those various things and, you know, and, and so I, I love that you have, have researched some of these very cool female inventors. Yeah, and so many of them that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. And um, the ones that are, you know, from back in the 1800s, mm-hmm. uh, they, a lot of them put their husband's name right. on. Because, as you mentioned, they couldn't sign the contracts. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so they just didn't get the credit for it. Mm-hmm. But there's no excuse now. Right. And that's what I tell women. It's like, why is it that 15, fewer than 15% of all patent holders in the world are women mm-hmm. now in 2017? This doesn't make any sense. And right. and when you look at the um, a single woman, um, like sole, propri- sole inventor, it's less than 8%. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. And and we mention it, women are inventing all the time, you know, and, and, and those who, who do are, you know, often, you know, sometimes very successful. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the woman who invented the mop that then they made the movie and, and all those various things. And now she has like her own QVC channel, all those. Joy. Things. Joy, I, that was it. And that yeah. was one of those. She saw a need and, you know, because she needed a mop that did what, you know, she needed that mop to do. And then she thought, well, good golly, if I liked it. Maybe other people would like it too. And, you know, and it was not, you know, it wasn't, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to do this and then tomorrow I'm going to sell 10,000 of them. You know, it, it was a complicated process. And maybe that's why women don't do it more because we're just so darn busy. And, um, I, you know, there, there, there are probably many reasons why. But I think, yeah, women are not encouraged and and it takes it takes money not to say that women don't have money i mean women have as much access to money as men mm-hmm. so it is a, it is a puzzling thing <laughs> that i don't know why more women do. I, i'm tr- i'm always trying to encourage more women to do it right because yeah you know i think we are we're inventing things all the time and you know and, and so it's just a matter of you know actually making something happen with it right well, Julie, oh my gosh, you know, and, and as I mentioned, we didn't even get to talk about your book and your book is called The Money Garden, How to Plant the Seeds for a Lifetime of Income. So we just have to have you on again so you can talk about that because I love that concept. Of, it's about you know, creating and running yes, multiple yes. businesses. Yeah, and it's not, oh, I'm going to sell cosmetics and I'm going to sell insurance and I'm going to do this. It's they're complementary products, you know, all of these various high to low ends, all these various things. So I want to have you on again so we can talk about your book. Okay. Great. Well, between now and then, tell people how they find you and connect with you online. Well, um, you can find my, my main website is create for cash. Dot com and that's all spelled out create f o r create for cash.com and my other site is swiggies s w i g g i e s dot com i also have i have other speaker sponsor this is about sponsorship for okay. speakers speakersponsor.com and and several others but that those are a good start you can probably find me in any of those perfect 
you know, and, and that kind of goes along with the, the theme of the money garden. You have multiple streams of income. Yes. And, and the thing is now uh, things are picking up mm-hmm. and they're all busy. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Which means I have get no sleep. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's the thing about being an entrepreneur. It's like really, you know, 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, <laughs> well, Julie, this has been fascinating. Um, and I've been having a great time talking with Julie Austin. I am Deb Creer. And until next week, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.